Welcome to Dunzo. This is a podcast that explores hookups and breakups of famous lovers and friends, both real and fake, and all the discarded pop culture of yesteryear. I'm your host, Troy McKeady. Babes, welcome to episode 194 of Dunzo. It's me, Troy McEady. You guys, we're almost at 200 episodes. What? Have I been doing this for four years or not? Like, what? Let me just first apologize if I sound extremely echoey. As you guys know, I am moving. Um, so my apartment is like slowly becoming more and more empty, and now it just sounds like even more haunted than it did before. Um, And it's actually making me a little bit nostalgic because I remember recording the Drew Barrymore episode when I moved into my apartment and it was super empty and I was like apologizing because I didn't have furniture yet. And uh, yeah, three years later, I'm moving everything out. So yeah, and also sorry for not uploading an episode last week. It was just fucking nuts. I was showing my apartment. I mean, you guys get it. Moving is a fucking train wreck. But I must say, I am very, very excited for today's episode because if you read the description, you know that we are talking today about three little women, aka 3LW. I've gotten so many requests to do 3LW, which I find hilarious because I'm obsessed with them, but I forget that other people are also obsessed with them. They feel like this very niche little thing in my mind that I love, Um, but so many people love 3LW. And if they don't love 3LW, they love all of the folklore surrounding 3LW and the stories and the rumors. And it's just so fucking messy. Like, you guys thought the Pussycat Dolls was messy? That was nothing compared to 3LW. Because the thing about the Pussycat Dolls was that we barely knew most of them. You know what I mean? Like, we knew Nicole and then the other ones were just, like, the Pussycat Dolls. With 3LW, this is a, a certified you know, girl group where each girl has a very distinctive personality and they all sing and they all talk. (laughs) They're all allowed to speak or whatever. Um, So yeah, it's just, it's a lot. This is going to be so fun. I can tell you just based on the notes alone, you are in for a real treat today. I don't know exactly how long this is going to run because obviously this is going to be more than one part. I'm just sort of trying to figure out how to go about it. But I definitely know that we'll be on this for a little while, maybe like two or three weeks, probably two. Either way, I would advise you buckle your wigs down, girls, because you are in for a bumpy, bumpy ride. You're going to want to use the clips under your wig today. I know some people take the clips out. Today, I would advise you take those clips and really secure them into like a braid or something. I just want to start by saying that 3LW to me is one of the most interesting girl groups to come out of the early 2000s for several reasons. For one thing, to have had such a small sort of fraction of success, I mean, let's face it, they were famous for two years. And to still be talked about as often as they're talked about is a huge testament to how much their music, I think, resonated with people, myself included. Because you can say whatever you want about 3LW, and there are many, many, many things to be said, but their music made a very lasting impact on millennials And I also feel like Gen Z still somehow knows who they are. And I just feel like the same can't be said for so many of the groups that we would have considered their peers. Now, with that being said, it's also very random to me that younger people seem to have such a shorthand with 3LW. Like, I really honestly don't understand that. 
And I guess that you could say it's because Adrian, you know, was like a part of the Kardashian orbit for a short amount of time, but that was like 13 years ago. And I don't think people know the ins and outs of their lives the way that they do like a Destiny's Child or a TLC. So I don't really get it. Nevertheless, I'm here for it. And of course, I understand that the opening of the song is a meme. I understand that Miss Keeley Williams is a meme. Broken promises, promises. But is that really the reason an entire generation of people know who they are? I mean, I guess that song did have like a TikTok moment. I don't know. It's weird. Now, not to go full Stefan on this podcast, but this group has everything. <laughs> they have everything. Colorism, prostitution claims, <laughs> infighting that involves buckets of hot chicken being thrown at people's heads. And obviously I want to start with, you know, introducing each member of the group. I feel very excited to like really introduce a girl group where all of the members are, you know, contributing or whatever. 3LW was formed in 1999, and they are sort of based out of Newark, New Jersey. Shout out to Whitney Houston. Uh, the original lineup consisted of Notori Naughton, Keely Williams, and Adrian Bailon. I'd like to start with Miss Keely Williams because I believe she is arguably the most important member of the group, considering it was sort of her idea to start the group and her sister slash mom slash legal guardian is the person who managed them. Apparently her mom passed away when she was seven months old, I think, seven months or seven weeks, and her much older sister became her legal guardian, so she calls her mom, if that's confusing at all. Keely's mom already worked in the music industry, and it was her idea for Keely to join a girl group specifically, so in the late 90s, they started auditioning people, and Keely was the youngest member of 3LW, and that's one of the things that I think people forget specifically about 3LW, is that they were so young. Keely Williams was like 15 when they started recording music. In 1999, she told the Billings Gazette, <laughs> um, my mother managed artists like CeCe Penniston and Jodeci. I used to listen to them when they would record, and I told my mom, I can do that. So we auditioned other girls and formed our own group. Now, Adrian actually has a really interesting origin story. So she grew up in Manhattan and originally wanted to be an obstetrician. Um, that is until Ricky Martin watched her perform in a church choir at Madison Square Garden. He liked her vocals so much that he asked her and like three other girls to perform with him that night on his Livin' La Vida Loca world tour. So... Ricky Martin discovered Adrian Bailon. I'm sure other people know that, but I had no fucking idea. Then very shortly after her one night only performance with Ricky Martin, um, she went on a school field trip to Beth Israel and was spotted by a music producer who asked her basically if she wanted to join a girl group based on her looks. Adrian said, coming from very humble beginnings in the projects of the Lower East Side and not having any, quote, Hollywood connections, it didn't seem realistic to me. I sang in church. I acted in all the church and school plays. So when the opportunity came to join a group, I was ready. Notori grew up in East Orange, New Jersey. Another shout out to Whitney Houston. And, you know, it was very similar to Adrian in the sense that she came from a very sort of normal family. She didn't have music industry connections and... You know, she discovered her music ability through singing in the church. Um, Notori was a national anthem girl, which we've spoken about several times on the podcast. For whatever reason, it's really hard to find articles written about 
the creation of the band, which I found very odd considering how much people love to revisit the drama of 3LW. But I did, however, find an article from Women's Wear Daily um, that was written a few months after the release of their first single. It says, Williams, the youngest and spunkiest member of the group, was the brainchild behind starting the trio. Williams' mother, Michelle, managed several other Sony artists before 3LW and decided to help her daughter fulfill her dreams of being in a band. So, Sony held auditions, and from there, they picked two girls, Bailan, who was 18, and the 17-year-old Naughton. We wanted street, smart, savvy girls, and Adrian and Atari were perfect, Williams said. Next, the band needed a name, and it was Keeley's grandmother who came up with it. My grandmother read the book Little Women and told my mom about it. She said, noting how the characters in the classic novel match their personalities. The characters were mature, but made sure they always had fun, just like us. <laughs> just like us girls, always having fun. We later learned, and obviously we'll get into this at some point, that each member of the group was actually chosen for a very specific reason to be in the group. Um, Kaylee was always meant to be you know, the lead singer simply based on the fact that her mom was in charge, which by the way is ridiculous because she was the least talented vocalist of every girl group she was a part of. Adrian was supposed to be the quote, sexy, quote, spicy Latina um, because it was the early 2000s and that was really the only way people saw young Latin women in the entertainment industry as spicy in quotes. And then you had Notori who because of her skin tone, was brought in to be the hood one. Notori was supposed to be the little hood rat one who did raps every once in a while. You know, she was supposed to be tough, and she was supposed to like hip-hop, and sneakers, and Tims, and baggy jeans, and she doesn't wear heels because she's a cute little thug thing. They released their debut single, No More, Baby I'ma Do Right, in fall of the year 2000, and the song was fucking major, it peaked at number 23 on the Billboard Hot 100 and number 12 on the Top 40. Uh, no More had a music video that was heavily rotated, specifically on MTV and BET. Speaking of the music video, I highly suggest that you pause my voice and you revisit this music video if you haven't seen it in a while. You guys know that I am obsessed with the abuse of CGI in early 2000s music videos and movies because it was also new and we didn't know how to we didn't know how to show any grace or class when it came to computer generated images this video is fucking insane at one point this guy is like spray painting their images into the street because he's black and he does graffiti of course and for whatever reason they come alive and they turn into these flat like Paper Mario looking versions of themselves, which then becomes the real them doing choreographed dancing in the middle of the street. 3LW premiered during that sweet spot of 1999, where if you were good looking enough and your song was catchy enough, you could have an entire career rollout in front of you simply based on, you know, having a music video that played on TRL and 106 and Park. You could be an unsuccessful artist an artist that was unsuccessful at most things, but still have a flourishing career as a pop star or pop group who gets their music videos played in heavy rotation because that in itself used to be a career. Like there used to be artists who weren't good at anything. They didn't chart. 
They didn't, you know what I mean? They didn't have singles that did really well, but they had music videos that played on heavy rotation and that in itself was a career. And it's so funny because nowadays you can have a music video that you put on YouTube that gets like 12 million views and it can change absolutely nothing about your life. Whereas back then it meant you could at least get like, um, you know, if you had a really successful music video, it could at least get you like an icebreakers sponsorship or something. You know what I mean? Maybe a couple Neutrogena commercials. What is there to say to you about this fucking song aside from literally everything? Aside from literally everything? This very specific kind of early 2000s, late 90s R&B pop is, and I'm not being sarcastic, this is my favorite genre of music. Like, it's just, it just lives deep, deep, deep inside of me in the marrow of my bone. And when any pop artist even dabbles in this very specific sound, I'm almost always guaranteed to love it. The thing I love about music from the early 2000s is that, and I don't know if this is like a thing that will resonate or if you'll understand what I'm trying to say, but I love that early 2000s music sounds like it wants you to sing along with it. Does that make any sense? Like it sounds like, like 3LW's music sounds like it was created with the intention of a group of young people singing it together. I dare you to be older than 25 years old, be in a group of people, hear play is gonna play or whatever and not all scream sing it together. It is literally impossible. Oh, by the way, I can't believe I forgot to mention this. Be Hello, fuck. This is very topical. This whole thing is very topical right now because there is a show airing on BET at the moment that was literally created for me. And I want to thank BET personally, um, where they are creating a super group of all these girls that have been discarded or fired from other groups. And, um, you know, Keely is like back in the news. She's having a resurgence. People are discussing her again. Um, people have rediscovered that Keely cannot sing. And I know that she also recently addressed her lisp. At the, You think that we're not going to talk about the fucking lisp? Come on. She recently addressed her lisp at the beginning of the song and said that her voice was actually distorted because of this auto-tune effect that they used to smooth out her vocals. And I honestly, I, I cannot believe that this girl has lived with this for a whole ass 20 fucking years. But it also, it made the song iconic. Like singing that lispy part at the beginning of the song, by the way, was always fun. It's fun now. And it was fun in 1999. Like as kids, we did that. I know that I'm not the only person who as a really young person would play this song and sing the lisp and not ironically or to be funny it's because i just thought it was so cute i'll never forget discovering this song from a totally hits cd by the way um it was totally hits 2000 and I, and i remember hearing it and being like does this girl have a <laughs> does this girl have a speech problem especially as a child who had some speech issues and as I've told you before, if you're a longtime listener of the podcast, would get tap, tap, tap on the shoulder and pulled into the basement of my elementary school to learn um, how to speak. Um, yeah, I was like, huh. I have another really long quote from Women's Wear Daily. It says, girl power isn't about to be overshadowed by boy bands. 
The gender gyrations of Britney Spears and Destiny's Child versus the likes of NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys have a new energy source lighting up the stage. Signed to Epic Records, a division of Sony Music, 3LW, which stands for Three Little Women, burst their way into the music scene six months ago with their first single, No More, Baby I'ma Do Right. Now, since their self-titled debut album has gone platinum, these three little women, who each wear a size zero, are on their way to stardom. While Keely Williams, Adrian Bailon, and Notori Naughton are often referred to as the next Destiny's Child, they insist they have their own identity. We admire Destiny's Child, but we really are different from them, the 14-year-old 14, Williams said. It's not the same music, calling the group's music style a mix of pop and R&B, which by the way defines Destiny's Child's music. <laughs> They're like, we're not like those girls. We're a group of young black women making pop R&B. Notori Naughton says, we're here to make our own mark. Even though the three work as a team musically, they all stress the importance of their individuality. While Williams is talkative and full of energy, she describes her style as the Carrie Bradshaw of the group. I can't. Referring to Sarah Jessica Parker's character on HBO's hit series Sex in the City, she said she has a passion for fashion and enjoys experimenting with clothes, similar to Carrie. Among some of her favorite brands include Juicy Couture, BB, Nike, and Steve Madden. Bylon, who was brought up in Manhattan's Lower East Side, said she likes all types of music, but she's mostly drawn by her heritage to Hispanic artists. She listens to Mark Anthony and Ricky Martin, but she also enjoys NSYNC, The Backstreet Boys, Destiny's Child, Eve, and No Doubt. As for her fashion, well, Bailon says she loves Roberto Cavalli, Juicy Couture, and Frankie B jeans. Frankie B makes the best jeans. They are the only ones that really fit me. But jeans are not, <laughs> but jeans are not always what Bailon likes to wear. <laughs> like, what? Of the three, she's the one that most likes to get dressed up. She says since she's the shortest one, she gets to wear heels most of the time. I don't really like sneakers. I love heels and skirts. I love lots of jewelry, she said. I love girly stuff. In contrast, Notori Naughton's favorite style of music is R&B and soul, and she only listens to bands like 112 and Boys to Men. She calls herself the sporty one of the group and prefers sneakers, jeans, and sweats. She likes DKNY and Adidas, but overall, she doesn't think brands are what's most important when it comes to fashion. I like to show kids that they don't have to wear expensive clothes to be cool, noting the importance of being creative when it comes to fashion. Notori says she does just that. For 3LW's first performance on MTV's TRL, she cut up a pair of Gap jeans and decorated them with safety pins. I like to experiment with clothes and make them my own, she said. Now, it's funny reading interviews like that knowing what we know about the band now and seeing them sort of try and set up their, you know, their public personas and knowing that Natori was told that as the dark skinned girl that she has to go on these talk shows and do and do all these interviews and say that she only listens to hip hop and she only listens to R&B and she only wears sneakers and Tim's and she only wears baggy jeans. And I took a big giant pair of jeans and put safety pins on them. And I like basketball and blah, blah, blah. Like it's really, it's just, this gets so dark. Just so you know, like this gets so incredibly dark because these are kids. That's the other thing that makes this a little bit different than the Pussycat Dolls is like, you know, those were grown ass women. Some of the, the women in the Pussycat Dolls were like 30 when the band was out. These are 15 year old girls. 
Six months after the release of No More, they premiered their second single, Play Is Gone Play, which wasn't as successful as their first single, but it still got a lot of music video rotation and it still sold a shit ton of copies and is what they've gone to become known for. I mean, Play Is Gone Play and uh, No More are like, you know, those are the songs that people know by 3LW. Speaking of, this music video isn't as insane as their first one, but it's still really fun. Um, the theme of the video is that they get dropped off by their parents on, I guess, like a, 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 a vacation. Like their parents drop them off in a minivan at a beach resort and they're wearing like, you know, old Navy bathing suits and shit and like cover ups when their parents leave. And then as soon as their parents pull away in the minivan, they change into thought clothes and <laughs> do choreographed dances next to the pool. It's also so crazy to me that they released two perfect singles as teenagers and they had no idea that this was them peaking. Like these are, you know, three 15, 16, 17 year old girls who think they have their whole world ahead of them, which they do really. But like in their minds, they think, you know, we've made it, we're in this band, we've gone platinum, we're on, you know, BET and MTV and we're traveling all over the country and they really feel like it's like, what else, what more could we ask for? You know, not realizing that like, this is kind of it, like enjoy the success of Play Is Gone Play because that's like kind of it. This is my last really good quote from Women's Wear Daily. Uh, this is great. It says, <clears throat> looking forward to a busy summer ahead, the trio's second single, Play Is Gone Play, premiered in April. The trio is off to tour with NSYNC and then with Destiny's Child on the MTV TRL tour. They're also involved with a national promotion with teen retailer Wet Seal, in which fans in which fans of the chain and the brand can enter a contest in stores or online at wetseal.com or 17magazine.com to win an all-expenses-paid trip for three to Los Angeles to meet the group. Winners will see 3LW perform at 17 Magazine's Hollywood Spotlight concert on June 14th. The other really interesting thing about 3LW is that they were constantly compared to, like I said earlier, Destiny's Child and TLC as, you know, the sort of lesser version of them. And the biggest thing that I think they had working against them was their age. I think the fact that, you know, Keely Williams was fucking 14 years old when they got, you know, signed or whatever, um, I don't think it helped. And people thought they were a gimmick. I mean, people thought they were a gimmick to begin with, but then you find out one of the members is 14. You know, it's like, what are you supposed to do with that information? And then you're like, okay, well, they're not TLC, obviously. They're not Destiny's Child. So you can't help but compare. I'm going to read a People magazine quote from the year they debuted. It says, While the teen pop market has been dominated by boy bands such as NSYNC and Backstreet Boys and female solo artists like Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera, girl groups are now starting to get in on the act. Dream, the foursome launched by Sean Puffy Combs, recently hit the top 10 with their debut album, It Was All a Dream, and their first single, He Loves You Not. 3LW, which stands for Three Little Women, is hoping to follow Dream in the charts with its freshman collection. Where Dream recalls early Spice Girls, the diminutive trio of Adrian Bailon, 17, Natori Naughton, 16, and Keely Williams, 14, is more of a cross between elder sister acts Destiny's Child and TLC. 
though both groups have done this kind of urban pop R&B thing a lot better. Although 3LW injects such hip-hop-influenced tracks such as No More, Baby I'ma Do Right, and Is You Feelin' Me with the, requ- <laughs> with the requisite amounts of You Go Girl attitude and grammar-grading slang, they lack the memorable melodies, distinctive vocals, and state-of-the-street production that mark the best work of Destiny's Child and TLC. The girls of 3LW also seem a tad young for some of the songs that have been written for them, including Play Is Gone Play, which is about bed-hopping boys. Still, they show plenty of teen spirit when given more age-appropriate material such as Crush On You and More Than Friends. Bottom line, these little women are not quite ready for the big time. Either way, the album still sold 1.3 million copies in the US and was certified platinum. And I also just really quickly want to read this this MTV News article from 2001 about the TRL tour because it will just make you feel intensely nostalgic. In the beginning part of the article, which I won't read because it's too long, so Destiny's Child is like the first artist that they cover. And um, MTV News is like watching Destiny's Child rehearse. And the girls are wearing these like grass skirt costumes that Tina Knowles made them for their performance of Survivor. But the skirts don't stay on. So in the middle of their choreography, they keep just like dropping trowel. So then they ended up putting jeans on underneath the skirts and it was like a whole thing. They also had some pyro issues and Beyonce was not having it. Okay, it says an hour before their 7 p.m. showtime, game faces weren't exactly on, but everybody was going through their preparations backstage. Eve was lost in adoration as she held Nellie's puppy in her arms in front of the St. Lunatic's dressing room. Jessica Simpson and her entourage were joking and laughing as one of the girls she was with taped her on a home video camera. A home video camera. 3LW were singing a cappella further down the hall, and some of the members of Dream were chatting it up on cell phones while their dancers stretched. As the house lights went down, the girls in the audience, there were about twice as many girls as guys, went absolutely bananas at the sound of Carson Daly's voice. A snippet of TRL was played on a huge screen above the stage. Then the tour's hostess, Beyonce's little sister, Solange, welcomed everyone. An announcement was made that 3LW had escaped a juvenile corrections correctional facility and had taken over the venue. The three little women, who were growing by the second, came out wearing orange jail jumpsuits and went into a dance routine off of Notorious B.I.G.'s warning. That ended with the three girls bent over showing 3LW on their little butts. Before... Before the show, the girls admitted to MTV News that they were a little nervous about being the opening act and setting the tone for the show, but they obviously accomplished their mission to set the party off. Songs such as Play Is Gone Play and their their final No More Baby I'ma Do Right kept the crowd raucous and on their feet. Dream received love during their set and their show was running smoothly, that is until Jessica Simpson began her performance. Joining her dancers on stage, Jessica walked out and then quickly scurried off. Her dancers didn't seem to know what happened, and the fans could obviously see that something was wrong. The music stopped, and there was a brief moment of unsettling silence. A crew member came on stage and informed the audience that Jessica Simpson was experiencing technical difficulties. The singer then came on stage and told the anxious crowd the real deal. Apparently, Baby had too much back. My pants just split in half, and I'm wearing my mother's jeans she said before starting her show over the cheers. 
In early 2002, rumors started to circulate that the girls weren't actually getting along and that there was a lot of infighting going on specifically between Keely and Notori. Um, and not only that, but it was also being reported that they were having issues with their management specifically based on their image. Um, more on that, lots and lots more on that later. In summer of 2002, they released their third single, I Do Want to Get Close to You. And this went on to be their last single featuring Notori. Um, and what was scheduled to be their next album was not only leaked onto the internet, but was also a major disappointment to their label, who felt it didn't have enough, quote, urban appeal, aka they were worried that this album wasn't going to get played enough on black radio, they were dependent on that black radio airplay, and uh, yeah, the label actually contemplated dropping them because they were so disappointed in the music. Then somehow, 3LW used to have really psychotic fans, and somehow they found out that the label was contemplating dropping them, so they started a, quote, never let go of 3LW campaign that actually worked. The label was so impressed by the way their fans rallied around them that they decided to not drop them, um, which I think is fucking insane. This song also didn't perform that well, but for me, it will always live in infamy as the song MTV used to play in the background of all their shows. I know that you and I have talked about this a million times, but like for the people who are new here, do you remember when MTV had a handful of songs that for whatever reason, they would always play in the background of their shows. Any show that was on their network, like maybe not any show, but there were specific shows, shows like True Life, shows like Diary. There was a 90% chance you would hear Daft Punk. Daft Punk was the soundtrack to MTV. Like Daft Punk is the soundtrack to every MTV show. You would also always hear No Doubt, just random, random things, but like, this song specifically by 3LW played a lot in the background of shows like Cribs and like Pimp My Ride. In July of 2002, the band announced that they would be releasing a clothing line called Fuss, which stood for, are you ready for this? Funky Urban Sassy Style in spring of 2003. And it was also being reported that they were going to be starring in their own television show um, in the style of Moesha. And I read in an interview where Keeley said, it'll be like Moesha, except three Moeshas. I guess you could say this was the moment that Notori became divergent. This is where she went fully rogue. But like, not even. We'll talk. Okay, so Michelle Williams hired an understudy to learn all of Notori's choreography just in case they wanted to fire her. And she would use the understudy to basically bully her into submission. Notori also told MTV News that she was told by Michelle several times, you know, there's another dark-skinned girl waiting to take your spot. Like, please don't think that you're the only little black girl that we can get here. I've got another one lined up. Just some random, you know, random dark-skinned girl that was just supposed to come in and be the other ghetto hood rat girl, in quotes. And this is where all hell breaks loose. We are 30 minutes into the episode. If you made it this far, good for you. Because you're in for a real fucking treat. By the way, I don't know how long this episode is going to be. It, it may be like 15 or 20 minutes shorter than it normally is because 
the way that I had to space out all of this information, like, I don't know, whatever, who, who gives a fuck? Anyway, it was being reported mostly by Wendy Williams, that's a very important part of the story, that Notori was definitely going to be leaving the band. That was the tea. And those rumors grew like wildfire, especially after it was announced that they were going to be putting a hold on the release of their album. Because people were like, what are the odds that they're having these rumors swirling around at the same time that they randomly decide that they're not going to release this album that they've basically already told the public is done. Speaking of their second album titled, quote, A Girl Can Mac, I just want to read you a really quick MTV News article about the release of the follow-up album because it's fucking insanity. Are you ready for this? You better park your car. Find the closest parking lot and park for a second. Like, have a sip of coffee and just enjoy this moment. The band's new LP demonstrates maturity from the 2000s self-titled debut. Not only musically by emphasizing a hip-hop slant and flaunting a widespread vocal range, but thematically. So, in the last album, we were talking about boys cheating on us. In this album, we're talking about us cheating on boys, which is cool because that's what happens in life. And it's all about real life and showing stuff that actually happens. Contrary to William's statement and the the connotation harbored by most when acknowledging 3LW's album title, Macking isn't exclusively about being a player, though the girls do some of that too. You know, I think there's a lot of people, they look at the word Mac and they kind of twisted it and made it into what they wanted it to be, William said. And that's cool because we want it to be a title that everybody can use for whatever part of their life they're in. But it's not all about macking on the boys. I mean, you can do that if you're like me, but nah, she jokes. It's really just about like macking your education, macking your life, macking your career, macking everything, taking control of your life. It's definitely something we had to do for the ladies, she continued. We had to show them that that women have been macking and standing up for themselves for years, and it's just gonna come back. Now we have to move it on to the younger generation. Just tell them to take control of your life and handle your business. Anyway, moving on from macking, um, as mentioned earlier, somebody in 3LW's inner circle was definitely leaking information about what was going on with the band to Wendy Williams because Wendy knew stuff about their conflict that was so insanely specific and she was reporting on stuff that was happening in like boardrooms. So this led to them believing that Notori was the one leaking the info. The label was convinced it was her. Their management was convinced it was her. The other girls were convinced it was her. Like they really thought that she was calling the Wendy Williams show and giving these like anonymous exclusives about their fighting basically. And this all led to one of the most infamous fights in girl group history. Let's break every single morsel of this down. There's a lot going on here, so I'm going to try and keep this timeline in order. If I jump around, you already know that I will take you by the tip of your pinky nail and I will guide you through every single step of the way. But, um... I just, I I hope that I can make sense of this because the story is so good, I don't want to fuck it up. 
On Wednesday, August 21st of 2002, Notori made an appearance on the Wendy Williams radio show with her lawyer, and she spilled all the tea. She told Wendy about the understudy, and, you know, she told Wendy that she never actually wanted to leave 3LW, um, that she was being threatened by Michelle Williams, uh, basically that she was going to be replaced, um, but she made it very clear she didn't want to leave she was there to work and she told wendy this like she was still even promoting the band on the show like she really was so like noble and like such a better person than the band really deserved for her to be so respectful and so mature to be like a you know a 17 year old girl if anything she was the most mature person in this entire situation she also told Wendy that everybody in the band and everybody on their team was convinced that she was secretly calling Wendy to tell all of their secrets, which Wendy thought was hilarious and confirmed wasn't true, but did say that somebody else who was a part of their orbit was reaching out to her and that the person was completely random. Notori told Wendy that a major reason for the conflict was because she was told by management that she wasn't, in quotes, pulling her weight in the sense that they weren't appealing to black radio in the way that they had hoped. And with her being the, quote, ghetto around the way dark-skinned girl, it's her responsibility to make sure that those young, dark-skinned hood rat girls also want to listen to this music. Now, some of you may know this information already, and this is just going to be a fun little recap of this messy situation for you, and that's fine, but some of you don't. Some of you are in for a real fucking rude awakening about your favorite three little women. I want to repeat this. This girl was told, this girl who was turned 17 in this group, I think, was told by her adult management, grown-ass people, that she was responsible single-handedly for black radio not playing their music because she, as the dark-skinned girl, was responsible for pulling in ghetto people to listen to their music. What the fuck? Like, I, and that's not even, that's the, the tip of the iceberg. I don't even have the fucking words. I don't even know what to say. They told her that she needed to stop, quote, talking proper and that she needed to start wearing more baggy clothes. She needed to start wearing more Tims and more sneakers and that she was not being ghetto enough when that was the only reason that she was in the band and that Adrian and Keely were meeting their expectations. Adrian being the spicy Latina, she was doing that in quotes and you know she was doing what she was hired to do keely was supposed to be the sort of like eclectic funky spunky weird girl who mixes patterns and prints and has like a you know a funky style she was doing that she was being funky you are supposed to be ghetto so why are you talking so proper and i will tell you listening to this interview made me really sad because she's so young and you can tell that, like, here's the thing. She's sort of missing the point. Like, she's missing the reason that this is actually really fucked up. And a lot of it is going over her head. 
the thing about Keely was that she was more than happy to play the part of the dark-skinned ghetto girl, even though it's not who she is, because she's a kid, and she's excited that she's in a girl group that is, you know, platinum and selling millions of copies of records and going on the TRL tour and all this stuff. Like, she was just doing what she was told to do. She's a fucking child. She told Wendy that, you know, when they would ask her to wear baggy jeans, she would do it. And then when they would get upset with her because her jeans were baggy and not sexy, she would switch to like tighter jeans. And then when they would tell her, why are you wearing sneakers? We're a girl group. Why don't you put on some heels? She would do it. And then when they would say, you're supposed to be the hood rat. You're the around the way girl. You're the, you're the, the dark skinned ghetto girl. Why are you wearing heels? Ghetto girls don't wear heels. They wear sneakers and Tims. She would do it. So in her mind, she doesn't really understand why they don't want her in the group. And she keeps telling Wendy, you know, it's a personal thing because I did what I was in quotes supposed to do. You know, not realizing how fucking insane it is to be told that you have to play the part of an uneducated hood rat because you have dark skin. And they were upset with her because she was well-spoken and, and smart. Like, what the fuck? She goes on to explain how the very infamous KFC fight started with Keely. Are you ready for this? Are you sitting down? This is so exciting. Okay, so apparently she was sitting in the far, far way back seat of a big, huge, giant Ford Expedition. And she had just gotten food from KFC. Keely and Adrian were still inside KFC getting their food. So Michelle starts screaming at Notori and telling her that, you know, it's her responsibility to tell the fans what's going on, you know, that, you know, she went to Wendy Williams and now everything is ruined. She's ruined the integrity of the band. She's ruined the integrity of, you know, the label who like put their necks out on the line for them when it's like, girl... You started this band because you already worked at a fucking record label. You told them to make your your child, who can't fucking sing, the lead of the group, a 14-year-old kid who can't hold a note. And she's acting like, you know, all of this hinges on this, this young, dark-skinned black girl running to Wendy Williams, when at that point she had not done anything and she had not gone to Wendy Williams. She had not given any interviews. She was just trying to do her fucking job. So she's requesting that Natori speaks to the website moderator, the person who um, like does all this stuff for their early 2000s website. She wants Keely to talk to him on the phone and give a statement, basically apologizing for all the turmoil that she's put everybody through. Now, at the same time that this is all happening, Adrian and Keely are walking out of KFC with their plates of food. So Michelle hands Notori the phone and tells her, you know, to give her statement. Notori takes the phone and begins to explain that Michelle and the girls want her out of the group, which is the truth. She said, if you want me to tell the fans what's going on, I will do that for you. So she snatches the phone and says they're trying to do everything they can to kick me out. And they're upset that I won't leave on my own. So they're punishing me for, again, doing my job. 
So then Michelle snatches the phone out of her hand and starts screaming in her face even more. Now at this point, Keely walks up and like basically stands on the side of the car, you know, like the steps that are outside the door when you go to get into an SUV. The window is down and she's now standing on the the car basically in the window watching Tori get screamed at and like she's about to get in her face too. And Adrian just wants to be in the band. So she has sided with the tor- with uh, with Keely. No matter what goes down, she's on Keely's side because she wants to stay in the band. These are children and they're in this situation where it's like, you know, dog eat dog basically. And they're all terrified. So she's not saying anything and she's watching her friend get fucking screamed at in her face because she's like, I don't want it to happen to me. Then, out of nowhere, Keely takes her plate of scalding hot KFC that she just walked out of the restaurant with and throws the entire thing in Notori's face. According to her, it was specifically mashed potatoes with gravy, mac and cheese, and chicken. She said that the food was in her hair, it was dripping inside her clothes, And she had her eyes open, obviously, because she's in the middle of a fight. So she had, you know, mashed potatoes and gravy go in, literally in her eyes. So at this point, she's like, fuck it. I don't have to take this. You know, I don't have to have plates of food thrown in my face. And also, by the way, when she looked to Michelle Williams to reprimand Keely for slamming a plate of food in her face, her response was, well, what do you want me to do? Spank her? She's not a child. When, like, by the way, she's 14. Like, she literally is a child. And uh, it was very clear at that point that no matter what she did, you know, this was going to be a losing game. And she asked if she could go home. Because that's their wish, right? This is for her to leave. So she reaches out to their road manager, the person responsible for, you know, flights and things like that. She tells the road manager everything that just went down. She's like, I need help. I need to go home. They don't want me here. Somebody just threw a plate of food in my face. I'm being physically attacked. And the adult who was supposed to be looking out for us is condoning me getting beaten up by these girls, basically. This is obviously going to escalate. I need to go home. The booking agent tells her, I don't have to help you. (laughs) She literally tells her, It's not my responsibility to make sure that you get home. So if you want to go home, then you need to figure out how you're going to be able to afford a flight. When literally, that is her only job, is to make sure that they're able to travel. Sorry, I just realized I was saying booking agent, and I'm meaning to say road manager. Road manager, not booking agent, whatever. She ended up calling her parents. Her parents got her a plane ticket home, and she went to her house and didn't know whether or not she was in 3LW anymore. And one of the most interesting things that she talked about was how really, you know, race was such a huge factor in the group, even from the very beginning. And she said that when they first got signed, they were told by management that there was this Latin explosion happening because of J-Lo, which meant Adrian always needed to be front and center. Adrian needed to be in the front of the group at all times. Even though they didn't technically have a lead singer, they needed to present Adrian because, basically because of J-Lo. Keely, being the light-skinned black girl with a long, you know, weave, 
uh, they told her that she also needed to be in the front of the group. Not in front of Adrian, but in the front, if you know what I mean. Which meant Notori needed to be in the back. And they made it very specifically clear that she was to never be in the front. Because the dark-skinned girl needed to be hidden. Because there was no market for a dark-skinned girl to be leading a group of pretty women like this. Like, you have these two these two pretty girls. <laughs> and, and in what world would a, an ugly, dark-skinned girl ever be the lead of a group when there's somebody who looks like Adrian? She was literally told that it would detour people, specifically young people, from connecting with them as a band if she was in the front of the group because she had dark skin. And apparently Adrian and Keely came to her and told her that, you know, they were like, so look, we're kicking you out of the group, right? But we want to make this not like look bad for you. When really they were freaking out that it would look bad for them. So they're like, we want to protect your image. We want you to be able to work again. So we came up with a story for you where you basically tell the public that you want to leave the group so that you can focus on your education. Of course, she later found out that Michelle um, basically told them that if you don't get her out of the group, then 3LW is over. So you need to kick her out of the group or else there is no group. This is all happening, by the way, at the same time as Michelle Williams posting on 3LW's website that Notori is missing, they don't know where she is, she stopped showing up for rehearsals, she's not showing up for scheduled events, she's AWOL, you know, basically planting the seed so that when she does leave, which is inevitably going to happen, um, that she takes the fall and she looks really bad and the girls look like they desperately, you know, wanted her back and they didn't know where she was and where's our third member? We're not complete without Notori. Why won't she answer our calls? Um, and Wendy literally tells her, so that means that if you didn't come on my show, if you didn't come on my radio show, you would have looked like a fucking psychopath. Everybody probably 20 years later would have believed that she went crazy and disappeared from the group. She also found out, by the way, are you dying right now? If you didn't know this information, are you dying? Honestly, this is fucking insane. She also found out, by the way, that they had been recording her phone calls. So the label would call her, you know, to speak about whatever. And she found out that they were recording her so that they could use stuff that she said against her. And like I said, she was so just like ridiculously gracious during this interview. And she, I mean, she promoted the group. She promoted the website still. She promoted their upcoming album on her own. Like this wasn't a press tour. She was there to defend herself because they were saying she was missing and going crazy. And she was still promoting their upcoming album. It's just, it's honestly just so insane. And she was saying like, look, I'm, I'm technically still on it. And I care about this album and I wrote a couple songs on it. So like, I care about it. And the really sad thing is she kept saying like, you know, I'm here to work. Like, I want to be in 3LW still. I don't want to leave. I don't want to be kicked out. And she was still, even after all this, and this is like what makes my heart hurt, 
after all of this shit that she went through, she was still so willing to do whatever they wanted her to do because she's a 17-year-old girl. So she's in her mind like, I will, I'll do the Tims. Like, I'll do the fucking baggy jeans. Like, I'll put a, you know, a mark under my eye like left eye. I'll do whatever the fuck you want me to do. Like, she was still willing to do all of this degrading shit just to be in the group. Wendy predicted during the interview that they would, um, that they would end up, you know, replacing her with the understudy and probably having the understudy go in and re-record vocals or, you know, they would add her on top of things or whatever, some kind of studio magic bullshit to make it seem like, you know, none of this ever happened and everything is fine and we love our new member, etc., which they did. On August 21st of 2002, MTV News reported officially that Notori would be leaving the band, um, and the girls responded via MTV saying, We've been disappointed by the comments Notori has made. Like most girlfriends, we've had our share of differences. However, at no time was Notori subjected to any physical abuse. We totally deny any claims made against us. Notori has said publicly that Efforts to force her out included complaints about her choice of clothing, decisions to keep her from singing on upcoming songs, and even a suggestion that n- n- and even a suggestion that Naughton announce her plans to leave the group in order to attend college. The singer said she tried to smooth things over, but she, but that she refused to cooperate with any cover up. The fans are going to know what's going on and what's a lie, and I don't think I should have to lie to protect 3LW's image. That doesn't benefit me. If I think something is wrong, I'm going to say that I think it's wrong. She continues, In my opinion, might have challenged the amount of control that Michelle Williams had. Whenever any member of 3LW, not just me, challenged her, they were bound to get in trouble. I remember conversations where Adrian would say, Don't say anything. I'm not saying anything. I'm not going to get kicked out of the group. I'm scared. And when I heard that, I was like, Aren't we supposed to be in this to make the fans happy and to make records and to sing and dance? That's why I'm here. Why is it that we're trying to impress management if we're the ones selling the records? This is a 17-year-old fucking girl. When I really think about it, I know that there was a lot of pressure on Keely and Adrian to make a decision. Notori explains, either 3LW goes on, keeps making platinum records, and gets a new member, or they stay loyal to their friend and there's no 3LW. They are under the impression that management had so much control that they could stop all of this, and the pressure basically turned them against me. It's made me feel like they had no other choice but to terminate me from the group. Now, if you can believe it, things actually get a little bit darker, and I'm going to leave you on a very dark note because that's very me. So in October of 2002, um, you know, first of all, October was major for 3LW. The girls went on to release their album, A Girl Can Mac. The sales were abysmal. It sold 50,000 copies, and it didn't chart. Um, the same, actually, I think it did chart, but it was like barely the same. Actually, no, it didn't. Fuck off. Who cares? The same month it was reported that Notori was going to be suing the band. I have a quote about the lawsuit from Billboard in 2002. It says, in a lawsuit filed in U.S. District Court in Newark, New Jersey, the resident of nearby East Orange charged that the purported manager of the group, Michelle Williams, said that Notori Naughton quote, did not present the appropriate project girl image and that she, quote, berated her as Miss Two-Parent Household. So she made fun of her for having two parents. The lawsuit was filed Friday. It names group members Keely Williams, 16, and Adrian, 18, of New York. 
also sued was Williams, who was Keeley's sister, another sister, Tess Williams, owner of Nine Lives Entertainment of Newark, Big Cat Management of New York, and Sony Music. So then more details about the lawsuits started to emerge throughout the week, of course, as they do with these like celebrity cases. And on the 10th of October, are you ready for this? Billboard reported that there were prostitution claims. They said Naughton claims that she was expected to do more than just sing and dance for the group, including being urged to get into romantic relationships with a member of the rap group St. Lunatics, so that the group would ask 3LW to tour with them. Notori says in her suit that she went to a meeting with a member of the St. Lunatics when she returned. She told the three Williams sisters and Bailan she did not get intimate with the group member. Michelle Williams berated her for not getting her, quote, Mac game up, according to the suit. Notori says she got the impression that she needed to have sex or get intimate uh, with a member of the St. Lunatics, which didn't happen. Notori says Michelle Williams harassed her more because she failed to, quote, close the deal. Now, this is like something that I really want to kind of touch on for a second because you often hear people talk about these like snakes in the music industry or in the film industry when it comes to these young kids, like these, you know, all of these gross people, but they, you never hear people mention women. You never hear people mention that there are female predators in the entertainment industry. Lots of them. Many, many, many of them. People who do, you know, casting stuff and who work with kids, who do like, you know, children's commercials and shit. Like there are female predators in this industry all over the fucking place. And I'm not saying that Michelle Williams is a, quote, predator, but she was trying to pimp out a 16, 17-year-old girl to a group of fucking grown-ass men so that they could be asked to go on tour. I'm wondering how many times this is going to come up when we do these girl groups. Like, am I just consecutively going to talk about this every time we cover a girl group? Like, this is fucking insane. And it makes my stomach feel weird because they're kids. Adrian and Keely went on TRL, of course, to defend themselves because by this point they were receiving death threats and it was pretty obvious based on the record sales that they weren't going to be able to recover from this. The damage was done. Notori was completely in control of the narrative because she told the truth and, you know, she got in front of this crazy situation. So now we're on the Notori ride. This is the Notori Naughton show and everybody is on the ride. Not only are Adrian and Keely on the ride, but so is, you know, Keely's entire family who's managing them and the label and everybody. I mean, she's completely in control of the narrative now. They released the Christmas album in December and the album cover literally looks like it was shot at Sears. Like, I, I cannot believe it was passed by several adults who thought it would be a good idea it looks like they went straight to the fucking Megalomart from King of the Hill and got their photos taken with like a North Pole theme. It is insanity. The album did terribly and it was the last and final release from 3LW. Um, and for a very short period of time, they did end up replacing Notori with a third member named Jessica Benson. At the time, Jessica was 15 um, the band held nationwide auditions where thousands of girls showed up 
And after her audition, audition, Jessica was invited to spend the day with the girls and have a get-to-know-you dinner at Charlie Brown Steakhouse in New Jersey. Um, she starred in a couple music videos. I think she was in like maybe one or two singles or something. But the group almost immediately disbanded when they got a call from Disney <laughs> to join a little group that you may or may not have heard of called the Cheetah Girls for a film starring Raven Simone and Sabrina Bryan. And that is where I'm going to leave this episode off. <laughs> Holy shit. God damn. I got really passionate about 3LW just now, which I did not expect. I was literally screaming. I'm so sorry that I just screamed at you. You didn't do anything wrong. I love you. Um, Yeah, that was part one of 3LW. I didn't even think that we'd make an hour, but look, we did it. Of course we did, because I don't know how to shut the fuck up. You guys, I hope that you enjoyed this episode. I hope that you're enjoying the girl group thing. Um, we will be back next week with more 3LW. I'm obviously going to transition into talking about the Cheetah Girls, which I'm going to be honest with you. Of course, I've seen the Cheetah Girls movie, but like, I don't know a lot about the inner fighting between the Cheetah Girls. I know that Notori, or I know that um, Keely has a really big problem with like everybody. Like, I know that she is the problem. She hates Raven. She hates her and Adrian don't get along anymore. And I know that like the girls have said that she's she's a nightmare. So we'll talk about it. And I'm really excited. And I love you. And thank you for listening. And I'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to Dunzo. This podcast is a part of the Solid Listen Network. Please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe if you haven't already. Also be sure to check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash solidlisten for exclusive content. You can follow me on Twitter at Troy McGee, and you can follow the podcast on all forms of social media at DunzoPod. That's D-U-N-Z-O. Thank you to executive producer Molly McAleer and coordinating producer Nicole Matthew. truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.